1: Hi there, it's Andy Garth, Yeah, We're,
0: we're going to be uh, going on here in probably about two seconds. Let, let me get the recorder started, and we'll get off and running. <clears throat> Hold on, my friend.
1: Excellent. Thanks.
0: We are back here on Lineup Media, A uh, interesting presentation today. We've got some incredible guests. We, yeah. uh, we just talked with Ed Bordeaux on his latest book, and now we have Andy Geis with us today. Andy, how are you, my friend?
1: Ah, fabulous. Thanks for having me on.
0: Now, uh, first of all, uh, here here on Lineup Media, we try to do, uh, we try to let the guests do their own introduction, just in case I miss something. So I'm going to go ahead and have you introduce yourself to our audience, and then we'll get off and sure. run for the interview here.
1: Okay, so I'm a paper boy that started collecting coins in 1964 when they changed from silver to copper. And really? I asked some questions that led me to a lifelong study of numismatics, the study of uh, money and particularly my field of expertise, American monetary system. I've written a couple of books, The Secret World of Money, and uh, that was in 1996, and Uncle Sam Cook's The Books in 2003. Yes. And we currently w- work for SDL Numismatics in uh, Hawthorne, New Jersey, right outside of New York City, where we assemble numismatic portfolios for individual investors and institutions around the world.
0: Well, uh this this is an incredible topic today. We're we're speaking with uh Andy Guys about his incredible books, The Secret World of Money and Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. He has also got a World of Money newsletter. You can get that by calling 800-468-2646 or by visiting andyguys.com and that's a n d y g a u s e Dot com. And, uh, Andy, the, 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 the books are incredible. Uh, I wanted to get you Thanks. on today to talk about this uh, this uh, reinstating the Glass-Steagall. Basically, a, lo- a lot of folks are saying it's too little too late. Um, Germany's biggest bank could ruin retirement plans for America's baby boomers. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about this topic, my friend, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into it here.
1: Well, I have to assume that uh, our audience has at least a handle on fractional banking and how it works. Um, You know, if you think that when you take your money to the bank that they pile it up in the vault and then loan it to somebody else when they come in to borrow money, then you only have a half of an understanding of how banking works. But if you understand fractional reserve banking, you'll know that the banks loan eight or nine times what uh, you've deposited in their bank. And so this creates a situation where, depending on what they do with those Loans. So, generally, if a bank is taking deposits from uh, members of a community and then financing homes in that community or businesses in that community, uh, depositors request for loans, and they operate something like a credit union where everyone knows everyone else. uh, This is traditional commercial banking, and then you had the other side, which were the investment banks, and these were the guys where anyone who had excess money and would leave it with them, they might invest it in risky businesses, and they may return a great return, or they may lose all the money. Uh, (laughs) But generally speaking, folks that put their money in an investment bank, that was extra money, and and so never the twain shall meet. That was the idea. You can't let the (laughs) investment banks... Take deposits from the public because the public just puts their checking account money, their mortgage payment, that's what they put in the bank. You know, money they're gonna spend. They it's not money that the bank can then take and make risky investments, because if they lose, how are you gonna say to Joe Sixpack, Hey, sorry, we lost your mortgage payment? Wow. Well, I mean, that's how the banking system was set up. So when the crash happened in 29 because the investment banks uh, had taken deposits from Joe Sixpack had gambled the money and lost and now couldn't give the depositor back his money, Congress said, well, we've got to put a stop to this. So you banks have to decide, are you going to be a commercial bank or an investment bank? so you can be an investment bank take money from rich folks gamble all you want lose all you want it doesn't matter to us but if you're going to be a commercial bank and take deposits from the rank and file public then everything you have to do preserves and protects their money and that was the law of the land from nineteen thirty four until bill clinton left office like on his last day (laughs) and him and his buddy robert rubin and of course, Larry summers who wound up as President of Harbor, Harvard, forgive me and uh, the illustrious Alan Greenspan, all convinced <laughs> Congress that we should get rid of this cumbersome glass eagle, because it's stopping our banks from being competitive throughout the world. So Congress agreed with a little bit of lubrication in the right finance department. If you look <laughs> at the Federal Election Commission reports, you'll find that it's the owners of the Federal Reserve banks that are the number one contributors to both sides of the aisle. Well, they donated plenty that year, and uh, of course, Robert Rubin wound up with a job at Citigroup, uh, paying him some six million dollars a year at the time. And, wow. and the business was deregulated, so J.P. Morgan bought Chase, and tra- you know, um, Citigroup bought Travelers, and, and you know, everyone started to go into every sort of business in the world. And when J. P. Morgan bought Chase, what it did is it combined an investment bank and a commercial bank, and the same happened with all the other banks. Uh, The 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 blend between commercial banks and investment banks disappeared, and so now it gave the investment banks access to the pools of capital that the commercial, regular mom and pop guy was putting in his checking account, and they couldn't help themselves. They had to devise a security where they would take a million dollars worth of mortgages, put them in a bundle and then create $2 million worth of securities, which they then sold to these depositors effectively because the banks, remember, were investing the depositors' money. So when it all came to a head, and they realized that the mortgage-backed securities were only worth about $0.30 cents on the dollar, and if they sold them for that, they couldn't give their depositors back the money, hey, that's the mortgage <laughs> crisis as it unfolded in 2007. Wow. So, well, with if that, if Glass steagall was there, we would have never had. It couldn't have happened if Glass steagall was there. Well,
0: it with with happened. that in mind, the Republicans, the Democrats are talking about reinstating this law. Um, they should. How how exactly do they go about doing that, and and how 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 much of a chance can that be to happen?
1: Well, you know, it took them seventy years uh, or so to dismantle it, uh, but it. it, it you know, the crash of 1929 and the and the depression that followed really caused the people to get very populist and nationalist, and they started paying attention to who their congressmen and senators were, and, you know, these two politicians, Glass and Stiegel, uh, were the ones that endorsed the legislation, and they... And once it was revealed through the Peugeot hearings, Arsene Peugeot, you know, of course they had their show hearings like the Watergate trial. And, you know, who caused this panic and why did this panic occur? Why did the crash occur? How did you lose everybody's money? And the, the truth of it was that the banks had allowed for the creation of three times as much money as they had gold and silver coin to back it up. So the whole thing was built on fictitious credit. And... The removal of the requirement for a gold standard meant that now the banks were free to create unlimited money. And so Congress realized then that if they didn't choke them down by saying that you have to be either a commercial bank or an investment bank, that these guys would run wild again, and this time it would be worse. So it took two and a half generations for people to forget why Glass Steel was put there in the first place. And of course you could have predicted the outcome when you removed that regulation. Of course they're going to go for maximum profit, and greatest risk, most return. And it was just to be expected. Now to, it would take another populist movement, a crash sort of mentality, for the public to demand this sort of legislation again, because there's no constituency. The bankers don't want it, I guarantee you that. And and certainly there is no other interest that would stand up and say, hey, we want to separate the commercial banks from the investment banks. (laughs) Remember that it was put in place in the first place in face of a crisis. And I know the Lyndon LaRouche people have been pushing the hell out of it because they recognize what a mistake it was to repeal it, or Lyndon did anyway. And a lot of other (laughs) fragmented groups suggest that a return to this. I even hear some libertarians making this talk, which is odd, because it's regulation after all. Yes! But if, if, you, if you give a bank the power to create money, you better put some controls on them, that's for sure.
0: Now, we've got a great guest with us today, Andy Guys joins us here in our broadcast. He has a fantastic, fantastic newsletter. It's called the World of Money Newsletter, mm-hmm. and uh, you can also get more information about his books, The Secret World of Money, Uncle Sam Cooks the Books. Check out AndyGuys.com, that's A-N-D-Y-G-A-U-S-E.com, or call them up, 800-468-2646. And talking today about the Glass-Steagall Law and uh, a very, very, very cool interview here with Andy. Now, uh, there seems to be some reports of a major problem developing in Europe concerning this basically solvency of several major European banks. Can you explain what's going on in a little bit detail here?
1: Well essentially, what so banks are allowed to create money, and when they do so, uh, the more of it they have, the more trouble they have a tendency to get into i mean there 's just when there 's too much money to invest, malinvestment occurs, and with all the excess monetary creation by central banks over the last seven or eight years, the world is literally awash in liquidity as a result, every kind of bet was made with uh, with money that was. Uh, put into the system. So, Deutsche Bank in particular, you know, a lot of the problems we had here in the United States with the mortgage backed securities, if you recall, Deutsche Bank was always at the front of the line, man. You know, it was their trust certificates, it was their documents. They're the ones that sponsored these MBSs. And, you know, there's some great movies uh, out there on the topic. The Big Short is one, if anybody wants to watch that. Um, And there are several older ones. Of course, rollover was a good one that will give you an idea, a picture of what has happened. But essentially, in a nutshell, the banks have allowed for the creation, again, of three times more debt than there is money to pay. So simply put, if everyone were to settle their debt instruments up today in the secondary market, That 30 cents on the dollar figure would once again be all that everyone would receive deposits for their bank account. And Deutsche Bank in particular has about $70 billion worth of dubious value on their balance sheet that if you removed it and, and use generally accepted accounting principles, the bank would actually be upside down. It would owe more than it has. And for the largest bank, in Germany and certainly a a monster in the marketplace talk about too big to fail so what is gonna happen though is that because the Deutsche Bank has an office in in New York it is technically a part owner of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and has access to our discount window so its ability to borrow money in the US and use it to shore up their uh, subsidiary now in in Europe has been used in you know, well used. In fact, you can check the Federal Reserve out for that. Uh, So essentially the solvency issue is opposite from a liquidity issue, which is we have all of these bonds and uh, we can't sell them for face value, so we're illiquid. This is we owe more than we own. We're insolvent. Um, And and this, of course, for a bank of the size of Deutsche Bank is, is absolutely hard to believe, but In fact, their horrible performance over the last two decades has led them into a position where so many non-performing loans, of course, this is the problem across Europe, Italy's non-performing loan rate, somewhere around 20%. Uh, Other banks are not much better. And the ECB, lacking the authority of the Fed, and in fact, without the fiscal stimulus power of the federal government, there's a very weak. Government structure that they still think they're independent countries in Europe. Uh, they're, they're powerless to act. By a monetary stimulus where the European Central Bank steps in and says, We'll buy whatever assets you could sell us, will only work so far because, again, they don't have enough assets to cover all of their <laughs> costs. And, of course, Deutsche Bank stock has been falling precipitously over the last year or so. But there's talk now of them uh, joining forces, You know, much the way the forced mergers occurred in the United States in an attempt to shore up the balance sheets of the banks. That's what will be done in Europe. My fear is that it'll lead to more monetary stimulus by the Fed and cause the dollar to go down in value as it's used uh, obviously uh, in these bailout schemes. So unfortunately we used to talk about astronomical numbers, right? Uh, you know, a star was 100 million miles away. Well, we could forget those now. They're not the large numbers anymore. It's the economical numbers that are ridiculous. Uh, you know, we're talking trillions of dollars of exposure here. $70 trillion is the expected exposure rate for Deutsche Bank, counting all their derivatives. And the total worldwide derivatives market, including all base deposits, is something on the order of one04 quadrillion dollars. So our dollar has been reduced in value to, I can't even think about it. It's like less than a penny in, in 1913 terms.
0: Wow. That is some scary stuff. We've got a great guest with us today. Andy Geis is with us. He is one of America's foremost experts on the history of U.S. currency. And uh, he has got two incredible books out there. And he also has a great newsletter called The World of Money. And you can uh, pick that up by calling 800-468-2646 or visiting andygeis.com. That's A-N-D-Y-G-A-U-S-E.com. And uh, he joins us today here in our lineup, Media Present. Presentation to discuss Glass-Steagall. Now, um, we, after the last banking crisis in the U.S., most of the uh, assumed problems that the U.S. banks were acting irresponsibly has been fixed. Has this been fixed at all?
1: Well, if you consider how the fix occurred. So, the individual banks that own the Federal Reserve... Bundled up a bunch of mortgages, so they'd take a million dollars worth of mortgages and then create two million dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities. Yes, yes. Now they sold those two million dollars face value to regular banks and big banks and everybody. I mean, the whole country, the whole world was buying these mortgage-backed securities. But when it was revealed that the underlying mortgage value was half of what the certificate face value was and that it was all based on accounting assumptions that were never true the whole thing was labeled a fraud now like a game of hot potato when the banks started when the revelation was made that these mortgage backed securities that the underlying mortgages that supported them didn't support their value everyone started selling what was the darling of the industry and so their value just precipitously fell until the federal reserve Now, remember, these are the people that are charged with maintaining the value of our dollar. They said, look, bring us your mortgage-backed securities, and we'll buy them for 100 cents on the dollar. Now, for for the banks that held these and for the depositors that had their money in those banks, that was a wonderful thing, to be fair. A trillion and a half dollars worth of these garbage things were quickly taken off the market. But where did the Federal Reserve get the trillion and a half dollars? And the answer is they just printed it. They just created it and put it into circulation. And so in the vaults of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, electronically or paper, is a trillion and a half dollars worth of, let's call them worthless mortgage-backed securities because they they have dubious value. And they're certainly not worth the trillion and a half that's circulating on their behalf. And so now what backs that trillion and a half dollars that's circulating around in the economy And the answer is those mortgage-backed securities that no one else wants. So if the Federal Reserve is going to do this, where they step in and decide who the winners are and who the losers are, because the loser is everyone who who thought they could save a dollar and earn interest, because why the heck would they want to pay you anything for money when the federal reserve is creating it for nothing and putting it into circulation then your ability to loan a dollar to someone and create a little interest disappears in the supply and demand equation so this is what has happened and now the value of a dollar is going to be driven down as all of these dollars enter circulation so i there's a h-41 balance sheet published by the fed and just the fed alone i mean you could spend an hour of study you know in fact I have three audio CDs I put together, and um, one of them, it's a half-hour CD just on the Fed, the history of the Fed, how it works, how it doesn't work, you know, what's true, what's a mystery, what's a myth, and that one and the definition of money, which I think is more important than ever before. What the heck is a dollar? I, I remember in 1965, a silver quarter would buy me a gallon of gas, and you know what? Today, I could take a silver quarter and still... By a gallon of gas. So when our money was full bodied, they couldn't play these games of constantly dividing uh, each unit. Now, where are we now? You know, with paper money or, or copper money or token money, fiat money, what we use, what the Federal Reserve issues. But you're looking at gas at $2 a gallon, or 2 yes. 25 a gallon. And, and it's that inflation theft. So the second uh, CD is entitled The Definition of Money. What the heck is a dollar? And then the third, Protecting Your Wealth, <laughs> who's not interested in that. You can get all three of these CDs absolutely free. If you'll mention, you heard it on the Jiggy Jaguar Show, and call us either on the 800 number or hit us up on the website, 800 number's easier. There's operators standing by, and they'll take your name and address and send you these things. It's 800-468-2646. Mention Jiggy Jaguar, and we'll send you the the things free. So just make sure you say that, otherwise somebody will be looking for a credit card. And, you know, get get all three of these CDs and get yourself an education. Once you know how the Fed works, once you know what a dollar is, then you know exactly what to do to protect your future and 800-468-2646, get them, they won't cost you anything, listen to them, half hour each, put them in the car, and while on the way to work, you'll get a quick education on how the money system works.
0: Well, we've got Andy guys with us today, we're going to be talking to the internet Dr. Jay Izzo here in a few moments, but uh, I do have one, one final uh, question here about this, Andy, um, the, what is basically the best formula for protecting our wealth during some of these uncertain times?
1: Well, you know, don't ask a barber if you need a haircut. So I'm <laughs> I'm partial to I'm partial to the constitution and article 1 says no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debt. So my answer to that is the only thing that will protect you against inflation is gold and silver coin, the money of the constitution, issued by the treasury You know, quarters, dimes, and halves from before 1964, old $20 gold pieces from the 30s. This is real wealth. It is the base, the monetary base of the United States. Everything else is credit. So don't store your wealth in someone else's debt. Uh, Store it instead in what the Constitution defines as money. But again, those three CDs will explain it all. 800-468-2646.
0: Well, thank you, my friend, thanks for being with us again and uh, looking forward to chatting with you very soon. Thanks for coming on.
1: You bet, man. Happy to spend the time. Take care of yourself.
0: Definitely. Have yourself a, a wonderful day. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it, brother. We are going to go to uh, Jay Izzo here in a few moments, our internet doctor. He will uh, wrap up our edition of Lineup Media. But before we do that, here is your Risk Takers 60-second bit. We've got more coming up. This is the Risk Takers from Entrepreneurs Club Radio. Clifton Talbert. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.